Hello everyone and welcome to From the Archives. This podcast goes back to many sermons preached over many years. We thought we'd bring them from the past here into the present so you can enjoy some of the messages that came before. Take a listen to what we have tonight. How you guys doing tonight? Doing good? I asked you guys to pray earlier. There's a reason. I went and I looked at my list of questions from our kids. We got three questions that were almost exactly the same. I want to read them to you before I give you the 15th question. Here was the first question. If God is all good and answers all prayers, why is there still starving children and people? The part of that question I want you to think about is this. If God is good and answers prayers. Here's the second question. If God answers prayers, yes, wait, and no, how would you know for sure that he is answering questions? You could pray to any other God and say that he or she is also answering yes, no, or wait. I'm not making this up. It's on the list. Third question. If God really answers my prayers, then why does he hint out his answers instead of being straightforward? You got to give our kids credit for asking some wickedly hard questions. These are our kids asking these questions. Fifteenth question tonight, real simple. How do I know if God really answers my prayers or any prayers? Here are our kids raised in our church, taught by our teachers, and one of their fundamental questions is, does God even answer prayer? And how do I know if my prayers are being answered? Well, tonight I want to jump into very briefly what I hope is an examination of the nature of prayer. Teachers, parents, grandparents, those who deal with kids, pay attention to this. Because you see, you think kids automatically get it, that God answers prayer. They don't get it. Our kids are not stupid. They are skeptical. Before we can even answer this question, we need to look at one piece of scripture. It's not on the board. So look at my rosy lips. Hebrews 11:6. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. Can I get an amen from somebody? Okay, it's impossible to please God. Anyone who would come to him must believe several things. The first is this, that he is, that God exists, and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Now you see, way back in the days of our founding fathers, there were a bunch of guys running around called deists. Do you know what a deist is? A deist is a person who thinks there's a God. Now he thinks that this God made everything. So far so good, okay? Right? One God made everything. However, what happened is God made the whole thing, created natural law, wound it up like a clock, started creation, and took a vacation. One deist went so far as to say, God made the world so perfect and created natural law so perfectly that God locked himself out of his own creation. He is like a man outside of his house without a key to get inside. So even though God hears our prayers in heaven, God is helpless to do anything about it because of the way he created everything. Just in case you haven't figured it out, deists have a serious problem. A, they've never read the Bible, 
B, they could not possibly believe in Jesus Christ. And C, they're going to hell because A and B. So we got a problem here. If we're going to be deists, we can't even begin to talk about prayer because it doesn't exist. Because God's locked outside. He's helpless to do anything about it. He's the weeping God who is sad because his creation has gone astray, but he can't help us. However, I want to take us to the one place where we know everything is true. Here it is. Ecclesiastes chapter 5 verse 2. Everything's on the board tonight because I really want us to look at this and bring it into focus. If we start from the point of view that there is a God and that this God did send his son Jesus Christ into creation to do for us what we could not do for ourselves, to redeem us from our lost condition, to pay the penalty for our sin. If we can start there, we can talk about prayer. If we can't start there, then the people who are asking us these questions have bigger problems because they're not saved and they're going to hell. But let's look at Ecclesiastes 5.2. This is what it says. Be not rash with your mouth, nor let your heart be hasty to utter a word before God. For God is in heaven and you are on earth. Therefore, let your words be few. This is how the Kohaleth, the preacher, the writer of the book of Ecclesiastes, this is how he wanted to warn people. Be careful when you go to prayer meeting what you say. Because God is in heaven and he hears you. Have you ever heard what people pray for in church? Pray that my daughter gets a Christian husband. First of all, who said it's God's will she gets married at all? Okay, pray that I get a new car. What's wrong with your old one? You know what I'm saying? Have you heard what we pray for? Look at this verse. Be not rash with your mouth, nor let your heart be hasty to utter a word in the presence of God. For God is in heaven, you are on the earth. When we talk about prayer, we have to talk about the sanctity of prayer. That God is a holy God and God hears us. Yes, we teach our kids, God is our father. We can go crawl up in his lap and say, daddy, daddy. But here's the thing. In this day and time, children did not go crawl up on daddy's lap and daddy, daddy him to death for everything they wanted. They did not nag for all the toys that were in the Toys R Us catalog or all the dresses that are in the Sears and, and the Spiegel and the JCPenney catalog. And they didn't go complain for a new cell phone because the one they got three weeks ago isn't the most fashionable. We have to think seriously about what prayer is. We're going to get there in a minute. God is holy and we must be careful how we approach him. Why do I say that? In 1 Samuel 16, 7, there's an interesting encounter. Samuel's been called by God to anoint a new king. Remember Samuel anointed Saul. Saul sinned against God, so he is going to replace him. He sends him to the house of Jesse and at the house of Jesse, he sees Eliab. Eliab is a lot like Mike Garner, tall, muscular, best looking guy in the whole place. Uh, just a remarkable figure of a man. Amen. Samuel sees Eliab and says, oh man, that has got to be the guy that God wants. Because on the outside, he looks like a king. He walks like a king. He struts like a king. He must be the new king. What does the Lord say to Samuel? He says, do not look at the outside, for I have rejected him. For why? For man looks upon the outside, 
God looks upon the inside. God is not impressed with what he sees on the outside. He was not impressed with the Pharisees for their long, flowing, elaborate prayers. Sometimes prayers that go on for 10 minutes annoy God. I am firmly convinced God is annoyed by people taking 20 minutes or 30 minutes to say what should be God we are frightened, we are terrified. Be our God in the midst of this and do your will. I think that's a better prayer than the ones that run on and on and on. We think we're gonna impress God by how long we pray. If that were true, the Pharisees would never have fallen from grace. Those guys could pray for days without stopping. No sleep, just keep praying. God's not impressed with the outside or the activities or things we do. So when we talk to our kids about prayer, we have to start there. That prayer is a thing that is sacred, it is holy, it is stepping into God's presence where we are welcomed. The scripture says go boldly before the throne of grace, but it doesn't say go boldly and babble like an idiot. So let's just keep that in our minds. Sometimes we want God to be so friendly, we forget that God is holy and he doesn't tolerate stupidity in his presence. Let's keep going. Matthew 6, 31 and 32. Okay, so we know we have to be careful. So does Jesus give us any instructions how to deal with this issue of prayer? Here it is. Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. Okay, we go to God with a shopping list of the things that we need and that we want. Is it because God doesn't already know exactly what we need? Of course God knows exactly what we need. Then why do we turn God into the cosmic mail order catalog where I just mention what I need every single day and if I mention it enough, God's going to have to give it to me. It doesn't say that anywhere in Scripture. You know, it doesn't say that you should repeat yourself until you annoy God into giving you what you want. God knows what you need, and He knows what He has for you. And I think what God has for all of us, according to Scripture, is a lot better than we would even ask for ourselves. When we talk to our kids and they say, when I pray to God, how do I know He's answering? I say, start with this. What is the attitude of your prayer? Is your attitude one of irrelevance? Are you just talking to God for the sake of talking? Are you going there to get everything that you want? Are you just expressing all this fear and this doubt because you hope that God will see how afraid you are on the outside and then give you what you need? See, it scares me that we do that. Notice he says, for the Gentiles seek after all these things. This is still the earthly ministry of Jesus. He's talking about the difference between the way the Jews would approach the God of Israel and the way the Gentiles would approach their gods. You see, in the pagan world, if you performed the right rites, if you said the right words, if you went on the right night, gave the right offering, and, and bribed the right people, then somehow your gods heard your prayers above everybody else's prayers and you would get what you want. The gods of the pagans were like a slot machine. You put in the right offerings, pull the handle, and the gods of heaven will pour out all that garbage that you wanted. Because that's how the Gentiles saw it. We sacrifice blood and the gods give us victory. We pray to Mars, Mars gives us victory in the war. We pray to Diana and we have a successful hunt. We pray to Aphrodite and she gives us the right husband. And and all these other things, they went to each God for the things they wanted by bribing the God. But does God need us to bribe him in order to do good? Jesus says, your heavenly father already knows that you need this. Consider Philippians 4, 6, and 7. 
Be anxious for nothing, but in all things by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known unto God. Now what's verse 7 say? Does it say, and, and, and the God of plenty will give to you everything that you want? Or if you pray all these things with thanksgiving, then God will bestow on you all the earthly wealth that you need. Is that what it says? Verse 7 says, and the peace of God, which passes, surpasses all understanding, will guard your heart and your mind, not your wallet, in Jesus Christ. What is God's answer to all of our prayers? His peace. Don't ever forget that. The thing that we go to God for, the thing that we seek from the Lord is a relationship. And just like when we're in a relationship with anybody else, we can express our fears to God, our anxieties. But the thing that we seek is not the monetary. It's really not the new job. It's not the new car. It's not the wife or the husband or the children or whatever it is we're praying for. What we really want is what Jesus prayed in the garden. Not my will, but thy will be done. And when Jesus left the garden, having sweat, you know, drops of blood, what did he have as he faced the Roman guards? The peace of God, which passes all understanding. If I pray for health in the midst of a, a medical crisis and God doesn't save me, is that okay for me to accept that he's going to let me die? Yeah, that's okay with me because God doesn't have to save me. What is the gift of God? It ain't wealth. It's not health. It's not long life. It's eternal life. I was listening to John MacArthur today and he was talking on, over the internet and he said the thing that he hates most about the modern church and I, I about had a Pentecostal conniption when he said it. He said, I hate the God of the slot machine. I hate that we come to church and we give our seed offering and God has to bless us with all the stuff that we don't need to have eternal life. He says, we have some substituted the greatest blessing in life, which is abundant eternal life. We've substituted it for earthly comfort. God gives us all the earthly stuff. We don't even think about eternity. We're not thinking about things beyond just what I can have and own and possess right now. He says that when you, when you tell people that, they will hate you. He says your churches will hate you for saying that. Now you won't hate me because you love me, even if you think I'm wrong. And some of you do think I'm wrong, by the way. I, I know that I can feel it. Sixth <laughs> sense thing. Okay. You think I'm wrong. I dare you to prove it from the scriptures. If I'm wrong, go to the word of God and prove that God has to give you anything. I dare you. I double dog dare you. I swear. Go search from Genesis through Revelation and prove to me God has to give you anything other than the grace of Jesus Christ when you receive his son to salvation. That's all you get. He says, if they hate me, they hate you. If they kill me, they're going to kill you. You will be an outcast, an alien. That's what you get for following Jesus Christ. You get to die, just like Jesus. Okay, let's keep going. Matthew 6, You already know this one. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Okay, before we pray... We get rid of the anxiety. Lord, I'm nervous. Lord, I'm scared. I got to go to the dentist tomorrow. Actually, I do have to go to the dentist tomorrow. I was supposed to get a root canal last week, and he couldn't because the crown was broken. So now they got to go fix the crown before they do the root canal. The blessings of being old, I'm telling you. One tooth left, and they got to keep messing with it. I'm telling you the truth. Seek first the kingdom of God, his righteousness. He says, and then everything else gets added to you. When we pray, do our prayers reflect us seeking the kingdom of God? Or do they 
reflect us seeking the, all these things that will be added to you after you take care of the kingdom of God. You see, you don't get the stuff and then do the work. You get the stuff when you're doing the work. Deuteronomy 28.2, if you've been an early bird this week, you know what it is. Deuteronomy 28.2 says, When you obey my voice and my commandments, blessings will overtake you. The picture is a man in a chariot riding from the battle and the enemy catches up, overtakes him and surrounds him. You do not go to the blessing. The blessing catches you in the middle of your obedience. And it does not come when you want it. It comes when God sends it. And that may be now, it may be next year, it may be in five years, or in some cases you just may not get the blessing you want because it's not the one God has for you. Is it okay if God withholds some blessings from us? Yes, I'll answer for you. It's okay. You know why it's okay? Because he is God and there is no other. He is God and there is none like him telling us the future from the past who decrees all things before the foundation of the earth. If God ain't going to give it to you, I don't care how long you pray, you ain't going to get it. You understand what I'm saying? If God does not will you to have it, you ain't going to get it from him. You can cheat, lie, steal, go outside of God's will and maybe get it. But do you really think if it doesn't come from the Father, you're going to be able to keep it or enjoy it? If you think so, Go look at all the tombstones of all the people who made it to the top of their profession and died at a young age because of stress, alcohol, drugs, and everything else that's killed them off. You can go outside of God's will and try and get the things you want, but if you live long enough to enjoy it, you'll live long enough to hate it and resent it. All right, Deuteronomy 22, man. Let the blessings overtake you in the midst of obedience. Every prayer we see in the New Testament Heck, every prayer in the Old Testament was for God to do his thing and then to give us the strength to do it with him. They prayed for Peter to get out of, out of prison. Why? So we could keep preaching the gospel. You know, Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego get hauled up before King Nebuchadnezzar. They're going to throw their hineys in the fire. Do they say what they have to say? Do what they have to do to get out of it? No. They said... Go ahead, throw us in the fire. Our God can save us, but even if he doesn't, I will never worship your gods. That, my friends, that's a prayer. That's a prayer lived out in a life. You see, our lives should reflect our prayers because prayer is nothing more than establishing a relationship with God that says, God, I am sharing with you my heart. Now you do what you're going to do and I'll be there with you. They shared their hearts with Jesus. And when he rose from the dead, they came back to that heart and they lived it out and it cost most of them their earthly lives at a young age. Most of them died horrible deaths, very young. John lasted to the end, even though he didn't want to. He would rather have died with his friends at a younger age. But God kept him until he finished the book of the Revelation. And as soon as he was set free from prison, he delivered the letter and he died. John had a great going out party, man. Go to prison, suffer, write the Revelation, deliver it to the people and die. And go on to be with Jesus. That's an answer to prayer. Let me tell you the truth. All right, next one, James 4, 3. Let's keep looking at this thing of what is prayer. See, when our kids ask us, what does it happen? What does it mean when God says, yes, no, wait? You know, what does it mean for, for me to pray? How do I know God's really answering my prayers? How do I know hey, this is happening? Here's the thing. Are we supposed to be waiting for the answer? No, we're supposed to be serving. Check it out. James 4, 3. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly. Why? 
to spend it on your passions. When you ask for yourself, I think you can ask forever and get nothing. I've known people to say, Lord, I, I, I need to be able to do this ministry and I, I need whatever it takes to get it done. And the answer will never be what they thought it was going to be. It may be somebody else who steps in and brings them along and, and they wind up being just a gopher. But they get to be part of that ministry or that part of that thing that God puts in their heart. When we ask for ourselves for what we want, like I said, you can go outside of God's will and get just about anything you want to. Any disease you want to get, any jail time you want to get, any guilty conscience you want to get. You can get anything you want to going outside of God's will. But what is God's will? That you are an ambassador for Christ. You seek first the things of God. You submit all worries to him, leave it there, and go back to the job to which Christ called you. Every single one of you is a minister. You are a minister of God's gospel, God's grace, God's redemptive message. I don't care what job you have. Your calling, your vocation in life is a professional doulos, a servant, a slave of Jesus Christ. That's what your job is. That should be your name. Servant of God, slave of Christ. And when we think of ourselves in that capacity, do any of our prayers make sense? If I am a servant and my only task is to lift up Jesus Christ, do any of my prayers make sense? I mean, I've been struggling with this for years. The meaning of prayer, the effectiveness of prayer. You see, I believe prayer is not about getting what I want. Prayer is about connecting with who God is. And I think you can prove that from every single prayer in the New Testament. It's me submitting myself to who God is and saying, God, here is my heart, but thy will be done, not mine. Lord, give me what I need. Look what Paul asked when he wrote, he says, pray for us that an effective door of ministry will open. Pray for us that we can be bold in preaching the gospel. Is any of that stuff to profit him or to make him more comfortable or to give him more success in, in the worldly sense. No. It's give me the strength I need to finish the job you called me to do. If you made the prayer, the sole solitary prayer of your life, that you were seeking to be an effective vessel of God's grace and mercy, I think your prayer list would go from this to that. Nothing wrong with praying for people. Nothing wrong with praying for Joseph. We pray that he will recover so that he might be an effective servant of God. Um, on our prayer list is many people who have cancer. Many people who are going through chemo and radiation. My prayer, I'm sharing you with you who I am as a pastor. My prayer is always God use this to do whatever your will is. There are some people that I know who have cancer. They are not believers. My prayer is God use this to bring them to Christ. You know why? Heal them of their cancer and let them die in their sin and they will rot in hell for eternity. Think about it. If a person gets cancer and that cancer brings them to Christ, that's the victory. If they are saved from the cancer but die in their sin, what has been accomplished? Nothing. A few pitiful years on this earth of decay before they rot in hell for eternity. I don't know what God's will is in cancer for anybody. The human part of me says it's just wrong that people should suffer that way. But I ain't God. And I'm going to trust that the maker and creator of all things is only going to allow into our lives what is necessary to make us into those vessels that he can use. I was watching a special on Japanese sword makers and they would take that steel and heat it up and they would beat on that thing and they would beat on it and beat on it just the way God beats on us sometimes. Then they would take this, this blade and they would crack it almost in half, almost to the place where the metal was broken completely through. But never, never did a professional swordsmith 
break this deal. You know why? Because after it was broken to that deep, just right to the edge, he would take it, he would fold it, and shove it back in the fire. And every time he beat it and broke it and remolded it, that thing became stronger and stronger and stronger. I know that hardship comes into our lives. We've all been on the operating table, the dentist chair. We've all been beside friends and family who have died. We've watched our, our friends and loved ones taken from this life, passed through that veil, and our only prayer could be, I hope they knew Christ. That's those moments that shape us, that remind us what's important. What's important is not the car you drive or the house you live in or how much money you make or who your kid marries. That's all meaningless compared to can I be a more moldable, effective servant of Jesus Christ. My prayer for my daughter is only one thing. I've only ever prayed one thing for my kid. God use her. Let her life matter. I don't care if she fails out of junior high school. My wife, on the other hand, would shoot me for saying that, but I personally could care less. I don't care if she goes to Auburn or Yale, although I don't like Harvard. Okay, I don't care what college she goes to. I don't care if she goes to college. If that child grows up to love Jesus Christ and share her testimony and share Christ, I don't care if she worked at Denny's, man. I will be proud to death of that girl her whole life. Here's the problem. Nine Christians out of ten don't believe that. Most of you don't believe it either. You would rather your child have earthly success, wealth, house, status. That's your prayer for your children and grandchildren, not may they be broken and hammered and slammed and cut until they're effective weapons in the hands of Christ. That's what's wrong with the church in America today. We want all the earthly crap and nothing that matters in eternity for Jesus Christ. Pardon my French. Let's finish this thing up. Second Chronicles 7, 14. Those of you who know me know I'm not sorry for saying that. I'm just being polite. Okay, here we go. Second Chronicles 7, 14. If my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and heal their land. I believe as a church... As parents, grandparents, and the teachers who teach the kids that have asked these questions, the answer begins with us. And when I can look at a kid, when I can look at a 7th grader, 8th grader, ninth grader and say, let me tell you about prayer, son. Prayer is about finding out who God is. Prayer is about you submitting your life, surrendering your everything to his sovereign control. That's what prayer is. Prayer is you being broken on the anvil of God's love and shaped in the implement of his choosing. Prayer forms me. It doesn't change God. God's got a plan and God's going to work the plan. Prayer breaks us so that God can use us in that plan. Now you may think, oh, but I have lots of scriptures where, where God's mind was changed. No, you don't. You don't know nothing. You go back and look at that passage. Look at the context of it. And all those prayers was God shaping his people to be what they should have been. Look at all the prayers of repentance in the book of Ezra and Nehemiah. The people saying, but God, we have sinned, yet you withheld your judgment. We have, we have turned away from you, but you have kept the remnant alive. Prayer is about establishing and reestablishing and living in a relationship where God puts it on our heart. When you're praying this prayer list, you may take it in your heart that you need to go give somebody 50 bucks because they're going through a rough time. You need to send somebody a card. You need to go to somebody's house and sit down and love on them because you know they're broken. When you see some names in here and you realize that some of these people are sitting in nursing homes where they see nobody 
except one fat, bald-headed old pastor who wanders by once a week to check on him. That's his contact with the world unless we leave our homes and our slippers and our warm dinners and we say, I'm going to go down and sit with this poor believer in Jesus Christ and I'm going to build him up and I'm going to give him everything because he's got nothing to give back to me and I'm doing it because God has put it on my heart. That's what it's about. That's what prayer really is. Let's recap it. All right, one, God knows your needs before you ask. So the answer to our prayer is always his peace. He doesn't say if he's going to give it to you. He doesn't say when he's going to give it to you. He may not give it to you. But what God will always give you in the light of an honest prayer is his peace. When they first told me I had to have that, that, that tooth fixed, I was like, Lord, this needs to be a mistake. I don't need this. This will be the third week in a row I've had to go sit in a dentist chair. You know what? I don't care about the money. I don't care about the pain. I've had root canals before. You know what I hate? It's like three hours out of your life every time you go there. And I'm Lord, you're teaching me something. So keep teaching me. You know? And so what? The Lord didn't answer. The tooth is still bad. I may lose it. But so what? God's going to take me through the other side. Amen? Amen. So it's okay. God's going to do what God's going to do. I've got the peace that whatever he's doing is going to be for my good and for his glory. Second, the purpose of prayer is to enter into a relationship with God. Teach your students. The purpose of prayer is not for you to get what you want. The purpose of prayer is for God to make you who he meant for you to be. By teaching you by working with you, by molding you, shaping you, hammering you like that samurai sword until you become the hardness of the Holy Spirit. And then you're useful to God. Last one. Here it is. We walk by faith and we accept whatever comes from his hand. Paul said, I have learned to deal with abundance and bitter need. He was free and, and walking the streets and, and treated well by the believers. And he was in prison and cold and sick and suffering. His, among his last letters, he writes to Timothy, says, please, please come see me before winter. Paul knew he was dying. He knew he was going to die very quickly. And he desperately wanted to see Timothy one last time. You know, when we pray tonight, I want you to ask yourself this question. Is the prayer I am praying worthy of the God I am praying it to. There's nothing wrong with telling God what you need. Nothing wrong with telling God what you fear. But before you pray, ask yourself, is this really what I need to tell the all-knowing, all-powerful king of the universe? Or am I just using him like a cosmic slot machine to get what I want? Let's pray. Thank you for joining us today in the archives. I am your host, Richard Stidham. Remember that we are a listener-supported ministry here, and if you would like to contribute in any way to keeping this message on the air, you can send any gifts to Richard Stidham, 1321 Baytown, Texas, 77521. That's P.O. Box 1321, Baytown, Texas, 77521. God bless and we'll see you again in the archives.